Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. How are you, good sir? Mmm, good. There's lots of good movies that just keep coming out. We get to watch them on our televisile every other week or so. <laughs> so there's just a, a good little a good little flow of things to watch. But that doesn't mean that we can't watch some things that are a little bit older and came out a while ago. Yeah, it's good to touch on on some of these gems that potentially got missed. I know this one that we're going to be talking about today, I definitely missed up until recently. I'd always intended to watch it, and then it just happened to come across the streaming service, and I said, now's the time. Or maybe more accurately, you said, now's the time. <laughs> yes. I So... This movie that we're going to be talking about is Dread. No, not the one with Stallone. The one with one of our favorites, Mr. Carl Urban. Yeah. And I've, I saw this movie, I think it was on IFC years ago. So IFC, um, if you ever watch anything on there, shows the full version of the movie, but it does sprinkle in some commercials every now and again. You know, not too big a deal. Uh, but I really enjoyed the movie. It was awesome. And when it came across a, uh, a purchase, a means of purchasing it, and it was five bucks, I bought it. So I was like, I could watch it anytime I want to. But then the other day it popped up. I saw that it was on, I thought it was on Hulu. And then it popped up on Amazon Prime. And I sent a little text message to Mr. Ken Seymour here. It says, "Hey, Dreads on Amazon Prime." So yeah, had to watch it, and I I, I couldn't help but giggle there. You said it was on IFC, and the first thing that uh, uh, that came to mind because I've never really really watched anything on the uh, on that uh, on that particular um, source of movies. But uh, you said that it had commercials, so it's like, oh, then it means uh, interspersed friggin' commercials. <laughs> what it stands for that's exactly what it stands for so <laughs> and, and i ifc is interesting because it is a, a it, it is a movie channel and there's random things that pop up on the movie channel on that movie channel and honestly i haven't watched ifc in years now because i don't even know i don't have that channel anywhere but they did they did some uh, some original pieces uh, I think Portlandia was an IFC original, hmm. and that's gotten some good reviews. And then they did one that was like, uh, oh, like a, a horror comedy with John C. McGinley. And they've done a few other things on there that were mildly entertaining. But yeah, I haven't watched IFC in years now because there's so many other things to watch movies on. Yeah, that's, that's, that is understandable. There's There's just so much. I mean, even... There's even stuff that's going to tease us to get us back into movie theaters. I, I saw that they're going to be re-releasing Scott Pilgrim uh, into the movie theaters uh, for a second time. And I'll watch that pretty much any time. And being able to see it in the movie theater would be awesome because I didn't get to see it in the theater the first time. But that's, uh, that's for another time. Uh, let, let's dive into this. But before we do... If you are unfamiliar with our movie ratings process, it's extremely scientific. And by extremely scientific, I mean we make it look like it's scientific without actually having any 
a real rhyme or reason to it other than we like to assign numbers to things. Mm-hmm. But uh, we can add too. We can add. That's right. Uh, sort of. I, I usually get it right. Um, the total score that this film could potentially get is 100 points, and that will break down into multiple categories. Uh, cast can get up to 20 points. Director can get up to 20 points. Costuming and props can get up to 10. Location can get up to 10. Cinematography can get up to 20. And plot and writing can get up to 20. And of course, we have the wherewithal occasionally to add some bonus points sometimes take away a few points if we either particularly like something that doesn't quite apply or uh, if we think that there was one glaring defect that really deserves its own extra negative points we can kind of do whatever we want to get it to the score that we need it to be Uh, i only bring that up because i'm gonna have to do that this time but anyway so (laughs) on with the show so uh, Dread came out uh, in 2012, just for those of you that are not entirely familiar. And it's, of course, based upon the Judge Dread uh, comic character. Now, that comic character has a very long history. It came out in 1977. So it's it's been around for a bit. And if you're not familiar, uh, that was created by John Wagner, uh, who was the writer, and Carlos Esquera was the artist. Um it was uh, it's it's been in a lot of uh, different publications over the years, but started as a a British uh, uh, part of a British anthology. So it's it's really kind of a neat character. If you're not familiar with the character, it's kind of a lot like what if Punisher had more weapons, uh, <laughs> kind of, and he was sanctioned. <laughs> yes, he was. He had a badge. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, now we of course will be going into spoilers for the movie. So if you have not seen it and you do not wish to be spoiled for this nearly 10 year old film, uh, now is the time to stop and maybe pick up, uh, after you've had the joy of watching the film. Um, so, okay, let's, let, let's start where we always start. Um, or where we usually start anyway. Uh, let's start with, no, I take that back. Let's start where we don't start. Let's start with the director. Yes. Okay. We never start okay. with the director because I figure this will be easy. Um, uh, Pete Travis was the director of this film. Now, if you're not familiar with his work, that makes two of us. Uh, <laughs> other than Dread, I am not familiar with any of his stuff. I felt really bad. It's like I'm going to go in and I bet I'll notice some stuff that I know nothing, not a thing. He did a Henry VIII TV movie in 2003. That was the closest to getting to something that maybe I had seen before. Yeah, I've heard of Vantage Point. Mm, that's about it. <laughs> I mean, you'd think I'd watch that. I mean, it's got Dennis Quaid and Forrest Whitaker in it, both at the same time with a little sprinkling of some Bruce McGill. That's like a perfect sandwich uh, of actors that I would normally just immediately want to watch the whatever production they were in, but I, I never got around to that one. Um, he generally gets, uh, pretty good marks for what I've seen. Um, so on my side, going into this film, not knowing who this guy is, um, really leaves a blank slate. Uh, all that's really there is just kind of trying to get the vibe of how well I think he tied the project together. What about you, Richard? Are you feeling kind of the same way? Well, I like in... So let me let me backtrack a little bit here. So 
we've talked about this movie on our podcast a few times. We've done it in our 2012 comic movie review. Right. We mentioned it here and there. Uh, I told you I own the movie. So I'm a little bit biased. And when you look at the reviews of this film, you get generally positive reviews um, from critics who wouldn't normally like these types of movies, from people who put you know rating systems in IMDb or whatever it is. Uh, so I will, I will honestly say I'm a little bit biased and I like this movie. And, and when it comes down to the director, um, I think he did a really good job because it's the movie itself comes off as really simple, right? Yeah. It, it's not, you're, there's nothing fancy. There's a lot of practical effects mixed in with some digital effects and you get a simple storyline it's like training day uh meets some other movies uh kind of because it's the first day on the job for one and they're going to get an evaluation where are you going to go let's pick this one it's like you get really simple components of Let's see what who Dread is. He's tracing bad guys down. He kills them all. He's a, a tough guy. They go to this building afterwards, and something happened. But there's more going on than what meets the eye. The the end, right? Where we go through a couple different segments, you see the characters how they are, and I think the presentation on it is clean and crisp. And that's one of the reasons why I like this movie. So I think the director. I think he did a really good job for this particular movie in a subject matter that has already been presented with a Kinda. really cheesy, bad Stallone movie. I'm the law. Which I actually had that one on VHS, so I did like that. So I kind of like the Judge Jed character in general. But I think the director did a great job on this one. Well, I think something that he maybe had to his advantage. I mean, a lot of times we hear stories about directors that have to fight with the studio uh, in order to present the film the way that they want to present it versus the additives that the studio wants to make sure is involved for whatever reason. Uh, I'm sure that most of it re revolves around trying to get the very specific audience so that they can make the most money and get the links for any connected films if it's part of a larger universe or you know all these different pieces well with dread being a fairly unknown comic book character comparatively please don't take that the wrong way he's not a nobody uh most comic book fans have heard of dread and even some that aren't have heard of judge dread but compared to something like superman or spider-man he's like a c-lister comparatively but that gives a certain amount of leeway. I mean, what, what could you really want if you are the studio that owns the rights to this particular character? You just kind of want the movie to be made, right? <laughs> so, yes. So um, I, think that, I think that gave a little, like I said, a little leeway. Um, in terms of how things are tied together, I, I often dump the editorial process as part of being the director. Um, and that's that's the only really thing that I'm going to try and comment on on this because 
because I don't know his work well enough to say what is his signature, whatever that he puts into it. But it runs tight. There is not a lot of fluff in there. It's, it's intended, we're going to go from point A to point B to point C. The dialogue we have is important. There's not a lot of extraneous talking. Uh, there's a lot of shooting, <laughs> a lot of combat, uh, some lighting. But keep the talking to a minimum. It needs to be important to either plot advancement or character development, which surprisingly there was just a little bit of character development within the film. Uh, now, a lot of times I use character development and character growth interchangeably while they're not really the same thing. Character development is about bringing the story of the character to the uh, whatever bit of fiction it is that you're doing. And character growth is how that character changes throughout the actual production. Now, the Dreg character has just a little bit of character growth, which in an action film with all shooting is really not not likely to happen most of the time secondary character gets some character growth primary antagonist no real character growth there not to, not real yeah. surprising That's uh, okay. but you do get character development which i didn't expect at all in most of these shoot 'em ups which is basically what this is you would normally get just only the barest minimum this is the bad guy there here that's all you get and I think that has a lot to do with the director. Now we'll talk more about this when we get to the plot. But like I said, the way that the way that it ties from scene to scene to scene has a very good flow, not a lot of lulls, uh, just keeps things moving. I liked it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's all I have. That's all I got to say about that. Now we'll we'll get into the cast a little bit later. But when your main your main character is played by an actor that's dope for one thing but has that buy-in for how this character is going to be presented that makes your picture come out a lot better than two yeah i think so so what do you think on director points what do you give this nice gentleman out of 20 points oh um i mean i want to say a 16 is a fair score I'm a little more conservative on this. I'm probably going to give him a 12 just because of the unknown factor that builds into it. Like I said, the only thing I had to go off of was really the, the editing style. Uh, I didn't get much flavor off of that past that. So 12, which is really pretty solid for, for that being the case. Um, let's talk. Um, let's go to location next. We'll jump around a bit. Uh, location again when we talk about location we're not talking about where they shot the film we're talking about the locations that the plot occurs in within the course of the film um, not a lot of locations you got the the hall of justice it's not really called that but that's the first thing that popped in my brain so it's the justice building um, but you've got that you've got the highway from point a to point b and you've got the building where they fight in that's it <laughs> Not yes. Now, you, you do get some snippets of Mega City, right? Right. right. So you, you do get, you are pictured with a scope of what this place actually looks like. Um, that presentation on its own, I mean, this is a really low budget movie in a certain sense. So like that CGI was pretty basic. Yeah. And that's okay. 
that that's its own thing to talk about later. But you do get an idea when they say what happened, like, hey, the landscape's this, you have these cities and blah, blah, blah. And you do get a big picture that this it's just one big city landscape with gigantic towers that are their own mini cities in themselves. And you're right, you get the highway. So like, okay, they're driving along the highway. And then you actually get the peach trees. And the majority of it takes place in peach trees. And you're right, that's it. But you kind of get an idea if there was this mega structure like this that's going to house that many people. You you got to think everything's all enclosed. Like they have the medical unit, which they featured in there too. Yeah. But it's you would think there'd be restaurants and maybe a movie theater or entertainment places, you know, whatever. You don't have to dig into that stuff too much, but this thing is enormous. And I right. think you get a pretty good idea on the scope of the enormity of it. Oh yeah, they do. I think I thought they were, did a really good job on the building. Uh, it's, it's got to look run down because it's going to be kind of a slummy location. Uh, so everything does look aged. It does look worn, but it's also futuristic. So it should be durable. So it kind of gets that, kind of um uh that kind of aesthetic to it that is uh is going to give you the best of both worlds but also i mean they add little touches you go through a schoolroom at one point so i mean that's the first thing you're going to think of this huge tenement you know do they do they have a separate school building or is it no it's all within all within the same building they give you enough hints that it it's all there and there is a food court um, I mean, you, you, there's a fairly bloody scene very early into the film where basically the dude just stomps into the food court, kills a bunch of people, takes a hostage and dies. So, I mean, it's, it's, it gives you enough understanding that, uh, of the environment that you're going to be in without kind of taking your attention away from the action, which I think is the right balance. Yes. And the, it's more of the cinematography thing, but you do get that tone too, right? Where it's kind of a bleak looking landscape. Right. There's really not a lot of color or flare or flash and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you even, even the uniforms, once again, this is a different category. They're real bleak and bland. You get black and a little bit of red, but that's kind of the color palette of the whole movie of the buildings, right? It's just some of the places will have some bright lights or maybe a little snippet of neon, but for the most part, it's just this overwhelming structure of futuristic blandness. And that's okay. Because that's how I feel like that's how it's supposed to be presented. Everything's supposed to be impressive, impressive, oppressive is what I was meaning to say. Yes. Especially the environment. So I think that's all we really need to say about that. Uh, out of 10 points, I'd probably give the location an 8 out of 10. Very solid. Yep, I was thinking 8 as well. All right, let's jump back up to costume and props, which we kind of touched on. I think it's a, a, a nice segue straight into that. This can also have up to 10 points. Now, the costuming is very important uh, in in the mythos of this particular character. The, the judge's uniform is iconic and if you if you mess it up it becomes kind of a joke which is kind of like what we talked about the other judge dread film it was it was very shiny 
and looked like mm-hmm. plastic and everything. Oh, yeah. Just it, it it was like he, he dressed up for Halloween. How cute, Mister Stallone. Uh, why are you taking off the helmet? Don't take. Oh, you took off the helmet. Um, <laughs> but it's supposed to be like you're talking about grim, but it's also supposed to be really um, cyberpunk in, in its feel. So so you you definitely get that. And then the the normal wear everybody is either for the most part either kind of very grimy with the clothing, or you know. Uh, I really liked what they did with the design of the the gangs when they're going through the little flashback, uh, the the judged and all the other gangs with with the tattoos and the outfits very very uh, individualized and recognizable, uh, and that's a lot of detail for such a small snippet. I I really was impressed by that. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a good point, and you look at all the the people living in in the peach trees place and the idea of that oppression in a certain sense comes back because nobody's out there wearing their their sunday best because i don't think anybody has sunday best mm, right? right so it's just kind of that basic set of apparel but when you look at the judges outfits or their uniforms it's that sense of practicality right where it looks like tactical armor you know, not how we would think of it, you know, if you're looking at current modern day army or special forces, like that's not it. But when you look at it from a distance, this, it doesn't look like overdone ornate packaging, right? No. It's just, it, it's, it's a simple presentation of, of simple armor, but like with a tactical nature to it. And then the helmet. The helmet's very, very basic, but I feel like, and I don't know the comic book source, I only know snippets of it, but it feels like it's pretty true to form. Oh yeah, it definitely In terms is. of what the judges look like. So, like, I appreciate all those things, and we're talking about props. The lawgiver, I thought was pretty solid as well. Um, so all, all those, all those other pieces... The only thing that might have been over the top is when they they have their little um, Gatling gun that they're annihilating that one floor with. <laughs> Those looked a little over the top, you know, oh, yeah. but I'm, I'm nitpicking on that. But I thought, I, once again, I'm biased. Everything has a good look to it. Yeah. How the movie was to be present. Uh, even the workers that were originally there to take care of the building had their own individualistic style. And it's those little things. They're in a scene, a single scene. They last for a few seconds before they get shot. But again, very individual style. The the attendant that's taken hostage at the food court, very individual style. They they clearly put thought into what that particular waitress outfit was going to look like. I just those those touches were really quite nice. I mean, even if most of it's going to be just kind of gritty, grimy. Uh, bad guys, those little flares that that was uh, that I like. I said I I enjoyed that. So out and of then, it, go ahead. I was gonna say one more one more thing was technically it's a prop, but when the 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 <laughs> they got chucked over the edge and then <laughs> splatted at the bottom, like that was a good splat. That yeah. was a practical effect. So that looked cool. Yeah. Um, that's all. Yeah, no, that's good. So out of ten, what would you give it? <laughs> 
um, a nine. Same with me, nine on costuming. Now, before we move into our next section uh, and, and start to talk about the cast, which we always find to be very important. So casting is, is just the key to most films, getting the right people. I want to remind everybody to remember to stop by our uh, Patreon page. <laughs> Where for just $1 a month, you can support the Pudding Guys as we bring you new movie reviews. We bring you new interviews. We bring you new stuff all around. Add to our vast array of items on our website where you can go and check out the ultimate comic movie database. Every film based on a comic strip, based on a comic book, based on any sort of comic source. You can find out what they are, when they were out, what they were based on. It's all there for you to see. But also, you can check out the pop culture death counts where I, in agonizing detail, go into movies and television shows and tell you exactly how many people died in in each one of them and see where they rank. Uh, We're starting to accumulate. We're not quite to 100 movies with death counts yet, but we're getting really close. And we almost have 10 television shows. I, I know I'm starting into my dive on Star Trek. I figure that's the next big one I'm going to do. We're going to see how many people die in the Star Trek franchises because I know it's going to be a lot. This is just going to be uh, a lot of fun. But anyway, back to the show. So, casting. Um, Now we can have 20 points in this particular category. And we've already talked about our love of Mr. Carl Urban, uh, who... If he was the only name in the movie, it would probably be enough. And going back to the simplicity of this, really, there are, in in terms of faces that you see routinely, one, two, three, four faces, maybe five. So you're, 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 you're basing this, I really think you're basing this off of just a few faces. Yeah. But then also, all the other faces that you do see here and there that have like just a couple minutes of screen time, all on point, all believable, yep. all did a solid job in their presentation of the people that we mentioned, the person in the food court, the, the person, the janitor, uh, you know, the people getting chucked over the sides. Uh, the, 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 the person, the, the medical assistant, like all these little pieces that just had some screen time, but not a lot, uh, not over the top, uh, but not, not so low grade that it was just dis- distracting. And all right. That small note, uh, for those of you, we've talked about Carl Urban and the things that he's in that we love, and he's been in a ton of stuff. And a lot of people think of him because he's currently in the boys, uh, and he's been in the Star Trek reboot, which uh, there's a rumor that there's going to be another one of those coming out, which should be interesting. He was in the almost human television show and uh, the truly awful Doom movie. Uh, and of course, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. But uh, did you know he was in Xena, Warrior Princess? Um, I feel like I read that before in his because I like to look at people and what they've been in, but it makes sense because he's, he's from, he's from the land where all of those people were from. And they like to shoot with cast from, you know, New Zealand, 
Australia in that same area. So they try to get all their castmates and members from the same vicinity, just like just like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So it it makes sense. He actually played four different characters in that show, but Jeez. most people would remember him for being Julius Caesar, uh, and he was also Cupid. <laughs> so <laughs> interesting juxtaposition between those two choices. Nice. Now, other cast members that uh, I felt we, we can't not mention, uh, of course, Lena uh, Hetty. Did I get that right? Lena Hetty? I'm pretty I sure. I do believe right. it's Hetty. Um, she has been in just a ton of stuff. There's a lot of Games of Thrones. Games of Thrones. So I get her name right. I can't get the name of the show right. Game of Thrones. Uh you know, anybody that's has watched that show, and there are millions, would, would recognize her from that. But she's just all over the place. Uh, she was the voice of Big Mama in Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which ran for a couple of years. And that's kind of awesome. I, I love seeing little things like that. But she's just been in a ton, ton, ton of different stuff. She was, of course, in uh, the 300 uh, film and she was in the Sarah Connor Chronicles on television and mm-hmm. she's just she's just so so many parts because she's super talented she's always on point when she's in a film regardless of whether the film is any good she is always good in it uh, I've always been a big fan of hers I think the Sarah Connor Chronicles is one of the faces that i initially had recognized her from besides some of the other things that she's been in but yeah she's she's good she does good work yeah and of course uh olivia thurlby uh who plays the cadet in training uh she's also been in quite a few different things that a lot a lot would recognize uh the the brilliant film juno uh being maybe the one that uh, i recognize the most but she's just been She's been in quite a few little things, and she's not somebody that I necessarily go to a film saying, oh, uh, Olivia's in this, I have to see it. But uh, I always think that she does a good job whenever I see her in something, so that's uh, that's definitely saying something. And uh, I think when, when I mentioned that there was four faces, you saw Wood Harris, right? I think in more scenes than some of the other quote, bad guys throughout the film. But the one that's sneaky, because I don't think he's necessarily recognized because of his long hair and his eyes, right. is the Domino Gleason. Right. So that when I first watched this, I had to look through the cast and figure out who that was. I was like, holy cow. I mean, <laughs> he's, a, he, he's a big time actor, man. He like yeah. He does a lot of things. He's been in you know this, the recent Star Wars updates. I think what a lot of people might recognize him from. But he's been in a lot of stuff. He's yeah. good. Yeah, he is. He's generally pretty awesome. Um, I, I've always liked him and stuff. Even in the Star Wars films that I didn't like, I liked him in the Star Wars film. <laughs> yeah, those poor Star Wars movies. That's yeah, a whole other discussion. that is a whole other discussion. I think we've maybe had that discussion before. But, uh, yeah, so, again, you're talking just a handful of people, all talented, all that work together really well. I, I, was, I was impressed. I mean, this isn't, again, that kind of all-star cast that you necessarily expect uh, or not expect, but, you know, hope for as, as a comic book fan. But there's just not that many characters 
in this film, so it doesn't really need it. Um, I mean, and for me, they did the right casting. The people did a great job. I give that a 15 out of 20. Giving them modest marks. That's okay. I'll go a 17. All right. So, cinematography. Straight into the art of aiming a camera at things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, in terms of the cinematography, I, I do like to include the, the, the visual effects to an extent in this category as well. And this isn't a big, why well, I mentioned it, this isn't a big budget movie. So some of the things when you have the shots of Mega City, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty low key, right? Yeah. They, they get the job done, but there's nothing special. But you know, some of the, some of the other sequences that are in here and uh, as much as we've watched Zack Snyder, we love his slow motion. Um, right. There were actually like the, the whole point of the slow motion sequences in this movie were to show off a supposed or like an, an interpretation of the effect of the slow-mo, which, yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. Okay. So those scenes, when they hit the slow-mo and everything goes in that slow motion, a lot of that stuff, has some cgi in it but that is more more natural less distracting to me so those things had a good feel to them and when you talk about aiming the camera this goes back to what we said before simplicity right you had enough views um wide shots moving shots like you got the perspective of what was happening in these confined areas what was happening in the larger open areas that everything just kind of fit well together. So I, I really, I don't mind the simple stuff. I don't need the, I don't need the rapid camera pans and no. I don't need the, the, there's no the shaky running cam. with the camera. Yeah. No shaky cam. Like I, that's okay. You don't need it in this one. I hate if shaky you're watching, cam. If you're watching like uh band of brothers or the Pacific and you got the shaky cam, like that makes sense. Like it fits. It works well. You don't need it in, in movies like this. So once again, I'm cool with the clean perspective that you get out of everything. Yeah, I, I, I thought there were a lot of really nice shots. Uh, simple things like uh, when they pull out from the half pipe attached to the outside of the building. Um, that made me uh, almost uh, a slightly uh, uh, sick to my stomach just thinking about it. It's like, you know, if I was young and I was into skateboarding, I would still go nowhere near that. You make one mistake <laughs> and you fall off the building. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was, that was yeah, rough. The, the kids hang out and then they got locked outside too. And then, and then some of the other small things, you know, when you look at a lot of the positioning of who is in frame and where are they in frame? A lot of times you try to center, um, the people that are speaking. If there's a single person in frame, they're basically in the center. If there's two people, they're kind of centered together. Um, there is some intentionally um, weird framing that's done in this film to try and heighten the uh, agitation of the viewer a little bit to make to to make it a little more uh, intense. And it's small things, but 
noticeable. And I really appreciated the, uh, that attention to detail there. Yeah, and there was some of those kind of close-ups of faces, I guess you could say. So, like, if their back is to a wall and they're having that discussion about what they need to do, you're zooming in on the face. That goes back to the cast a little bit and and goes back to the fact that Carl Urban never took his helmet off and all you really looked at was his chin and he had the pouty (laughs) face the whole time. Yeah. Which was awesome, but they, to have the camera just focusing on those things, I, I thought gave a good presentation of what you said, like the, uh, the, the attitude of what was going on in the shot at that particular time. Yeah. And it just, it, I don't know. I, I liked it. I liked the grizzly pouty look and the camera just presented it like, there he is, grizzly pouty look, you know. And I have to say that even though the machine gun scene was definitely over the top, it was still kind of awesome. Um, the the way that it was presented, a lot of people would be, um, would sometimes be you know, considering the really, really quick cuts. And they had a couple, but not too many. They stayed with things still fairly steadily. Uh, before going back and forth. And I appreciated that because uh, just having the quick cut so that it can feel like it's all hectic, uh, that doesn't present hectic to me. That just presents annoying. Um, so I, I like that they gave a little more time for that develop, to develop the lighting. This was the tricky thing for me. So, okay, this tenement, it's supposed to be the slums. And it's supposed to be oppressive. So what do you do? It needs to be dark. It has to be dark. It has to be grimy feeling. It has to be, when there's light, kind of neon or antiseptic, maybe, like what you got with the, uh, with the, medical, uh, with the medical room in the building. But the only problem with that is if you have an entire film where everything is dark, it's really kind of muddled together. So how do you balance those things? They did something with the contrast. I don't, I don't know exactly what it was that they did, but there was enough lighting in the right spots at the right time where I didn't feel like, oh, it's just dark again. And it, it, it had enough to kind of keep it from falling into that trap. And I, uh, that's, that's a subtle trick, but it worked really well. Yeah, the, when they're driving around outside, it's not like it was a bright, sunny day. You kind of got that haze to it, right? Because yeah. there would be lots of haze and pollution. And then when you're in the peach trees, there's the one square way all the way at the, at the top that would let light in. But, of course, that got closed and the, the place was on lockdown. So that changed the lighting when the place went on lockdown. But you're right. There, was corners that, there were corners that were dark. There were hallways that were dark, but spots that were lit, right? So yeah. you had that mix. But you're right; it did have a, it did have an overall almost like a gray brownish just look to the actual, like it was a filter. Yeah. So you, you, you whatever they did to present it like that, I think worked. Yeah, it definitely did. So this was probably my, well, no, probably about it. It's definitely my highest mark that I give. I gave this one a 17 out of 20 on the cinematography. 
Um, I think I decided to do a 16 on this one, so pretty similar. Nice. All right, now to the make or break portion of every single film. It's why we always save this one to last, because this is the part where uh, it usually gets messed up. <laughs> but we're going to talk about the plot and writing. Um, so Judge Dredd, not easy to convert to film with any real plot. I mean, even in the comics, it's essentially, I have a gun. I kill bad guys. That's the whole plot. So what do you do to make yeah. that interesting? And I thought they managed to do so in this. Yep. So it's, you get the opening sequence, which just shows that, you know, he's Judge Dredd and he does things. <laughs> um, but when they give him his rookie and he's like, you pick uh, this one. And then they go. It's kind of unassuming, right? It's right. just like, we're going to go. We're going to check this thing out. It, it's kind of casual. They walk in the building, and he gives them like a little quiz about the person sitting out front, uh, you know, the, the vagrancy type of thing. It's like, poor, don't be here poor when I get guy. Back. <laughs> and he gets smashed <laughs> by the door, which was pretty funny. Uh, so, you know, like, n nothing crazy, but it just seems to be like, Oh, this, uh, this scenario changed quick. You know, she's got, she's got those, she's got those powers that she can kind of read people's minds. That's why she doesn't wear a helmet, um, which was mentioned in the movie as well. And, and then it just kind of evolves. Right. right. So it, it, they, they, they capture, they they capture the 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 bad guys, but ooh, hey, that's this happens. To, she can say like, oh, this was the guy that threw him off the side. So like, convenient, right? Yeah. Uh, but it, it it still made sense. Like it was just a plot that like, okay, well, of course he was the one that did it. He was down there in this room, not all the way at the top. Now how convenient. But that was okay. Like some things are just so bad plot driven cheesy devices that one was okay yeah um oh we don't want to find out what happens i don't like judges let's lock down the place that 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 okay that sense we're gonna try and kill this guy no matter what okay cool she goes over the loudspeaker and says hey you know we're gonna we're gonna kill the guy whatever so like all the little pieces that develop the story and then able to um, and the judges are there and they're not there to help. They're actually there to kill them, to get money. Okay. That, that's fine. Okay. Too. Like you could see it coming. It's not like when those judges came, it's not like, Oh, here comes the cavalry. It was almost kind of like a fairly obvious plot. Yeah. Like veer, just you know, a little distraction on it. Would you testify but that uh, that these people deal. were involved? Sure, I would. Blam. Yeah, yeah. Not terribly surprising, but uh, so okay. Here's here's one problem yeah. I had with that. I didn't mind them throwing that in. Was it obvious? Sure, of course, and it's, it was fine that it was obvious. One thing that did bother me though is when one of the judges, uh, the female judges, asked. Uh, what would happen when she ran into the other 
uh, judge, it's like, well, it's simple. Either she sees me first and hesitates and I shoot her, or I see her first and I shoot her. And then when they run into each other, they both hesitate. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You had such yeah. a perfect instance there to either have her immediately pull her gun, shoot and miss or whatever, or delve into the psychic power. She had a little premonition that she was going to run into it and that judge was going to shoot her so that she was able to get out of it. They didn't do that. It was just kind of, it was a little lame, just a little bit, um, a missed opportunity. Um, uh, the gun also yeah. is is a bit of a problem. And I understand the gun isn't important to the plot. But for me, one of my big pet peeves is if you're going to create a world or adapt a world that has a set of rules, it needs to do two things. You need to clearly enunciate what those rules are and how things work. And then you have to keep to those rules and not break them unless there's some majorly important plot reason to do so. And usually it's the second thing that people mess up. Here are the rules. And then they just forget the rules along the path and do whatever they want because I'm just going to write what I want. In this instance, it's future technology. Great. You see them reload the guns like once or twice, but it's never really clear quite how they work. So you don't know how low they're running on ammo until you get to the point where, oh, I got like a bullet left. Sure. Okay. Where did that come from? I need, I need a little more, even if it was a blurb, it could have taken less than 30 seconds when they're issuing the gun as the judge is leaving. Here's your gun, 200 rounds of whatever ammo. That's one line, one line. They couldn't bother to do that. And it just creates this kind of, well, a pet peeve for me, but this little instance, it's like, uh, how, what does he have? I don't know what he has. Is he really low? Was this his fault? Did he pack his lunch and not his extra ammo? What's going on? It, it just, that pulled me out of it just a little bit. Well, the one thing was the special rounds that they had. <laughs> we know that those weapons have those special rounds, yeah. right? We don't know how they have it or what their limit is or those type of things, but we know they have them. But, he, he asked for the rounds, and they were out of all those different rounds. Okay, well, whatever. Uh, how do you reload those rounds? I don't know. <laughs> well, I killed the other judges. Let me take the clips off of them, right? So I, I appreciate the fact that this wasn't one of those things where they shoot and they have endless bullets. Right. Because action movies tend to do that. At least at least it was brought brought up that as a plot piece, subtle little one. I don't have ammo. And then he gets shot and then he kills everybody, the other people and she kills anyway, but then grabs the ammo off of the judge. So like that piece, at least at the very least, like you said, the one line, it at least gave service in a small piece that they don't have endless ammo and this just not some nonsense. There was at least some mild, modest practicality to the fact that they had to pay attention to that. Yeah. But for me, as soon as you okay, bring up that, much. as soon as you bring up, well, we can run out of ammo. Okay. Well then that means you need to tell me because if we're doing a movie in the real world and I, and I see a shotgun. Okay. I know how many shells that shotgun can hold. 
If I see an AK-47, I know how many bullets the average banana clip is going to be able to hold. There's none of that with this. So saying that it can run out is just kind of a lame excuse to be able to say, oh, I'm out now. And they're not connected. It's just kind of floating in this non-reality. And it that oh, drives me crazy. It's a small thing. I know it's a small thing. And I'm probably one of only a handful of people that, that goes crazy over that. But that every single time just, just bothers me to no end. The choreography was good. And... <laughs> Yeah, like the the individual um, fight sequences, the you know people getting shot, and like I said, the practical effects with that, um, the 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 fights across the balconies, the fight on the one balcony, all those little fight scenes I think were great. There was enough of it, and the and the fight sequences and the gore was not over the top, right? You can have, I mean, we, we've, we've watched some movies where they do over the top in the sense that it needs to be over the top. Right. But since this movie is kind of a simplified direct thing, you didn't get the over the top. You just got some of the stuff that made sense. There were some other things they did really well though. So, I mean, what did you think? What did you think about, um, the backstory for the mama character? Just that little small snippet they give to kind of give her purpose for what she's doing. Yeah, you get a little, you get a little background of the the why in in a sense, not the how. You know, she was just a small time, and then now she's big time, and it just seemed to happen. You know, rapid advance through the through the ranks, right? And all of a sudden, she's in control. Okay, I, I believe that if you're ruthless enough, I suppose, and I'm just gonna, you have enough people and the manpower to take down the rest of everybody else. That, that's cool. At least you got it. You got something as opposed to, hey, we're in this place. She's the one that's in control. The end. So yeah. it goes back to what you had mentioned before. At least they threw in some lines and some bits of, of dialogue and some scenes that weren't, that weren't presented as throw-ins but at least delivered on some important snippets of information. Um, th- there was the, the plot is, you know, we, we always tear down plots in movies because they can be so bad. If you re- uh, listen to my review of Godzilla versus Kong, I gave the plot <laughs> points because it was so absurdly bad. Right. Um, but in this one, it was fine. Yeah. Right? There there was no super ridiculous plot twists. No. There was no, like, obscene plot maneuvers to no. get things positioned in the way they needed to be. It was, you know, it's one of those movies you could say, like, yep, it made sense. There was a couple nice touches, like uh, having having the cadet... Uh, run into a family member of somebody that she just killed and having to deal with that. I thought the way that they did that in the film was really quite good. Um, just, you know, all in yes. all, the, just the little peppering here and there. Normally a plot like this would never get more than like 10 or 11 points for me because there's just not enough meat to give it any more than that. Um, but, you know, this is, this is probably a 14 for me plot-wise. 
Yep. I was thinking 15. Yeah, solid. So once again, similar similar scores for us. Now, this is the point at which you can give any Ooh. bonus points that you might wish, Richard, or take any away. Well, I, I think we've mentioned this a, a few times. We love Carl Urban. He never takes off the the entire time. Right. And that's how the comic book is. Once again, I'm not, I don't know the comic book, but I know that that aspect is he never takes off his helmet and to have the character be just like you get the character, the character is cool, but you never see the person's face other than their, their scowl. And like, really, if you look at his mouth parts, it's always the corners of his mouth are pointing down. Yep. Right. So like, it's it's great. I it is. so I, I have to give bonus. Uh, I have to give. I have to give a bonus point to that because that presentation was spot on. I'd I'd like to think in the future that they would do an actual sequel to this. It was it was so low budget the first time. It just never even made back the money from that low budget. So that's why I don't think they'll ever do a new one. Yeah, which is sad. So sad what, one bonus point for you then. All right. So for me, I'm going to give two two different things, bonus points. One, again, the helmet. I'm right there with you. I'm giving two points because that is not just in keeping with the history of the character, but you're taking a major star like Carl Urban and you can't see his face through the entire film. That is funny and it's great. I love that. But... They also managed to incorporate the line that Stallone just mangled in the previous film when he's talking over the intercom. So it goes from I am the law to I am the law. I mean, it's like you know, this kind of slow, low growl. Something is actually menacing. It's like, yeah. That deserves a couple of points for me. Now, I'm giving them both more than one point because as I was talking to Richard a little bit before we started that, I ran into a strange situation that's never happened to me in putting uh, points to a film where I know basically where this rates for me in comparison to other films. But when I break it down, the points don't add up (laughs) to, to the score that I see in my mind. So these bonus points are going to make it be basically where I feel that it should be. And when you add up all of our bonus points, uh, Richard gives it a more than solid 82 out of 100. That is that is in B-minus territory, almost a solid B. And uh, I give it a 79. Yeah. That's a C-plus. I would probably watch this again at some point. It's not like something I'd regularly watch. But, you know, if it came on, it's like, yeah, I'd probably watch that again. That was fun. Yeah, exactly. And... And like I said, when I saw it and it was five bucks, I'm like, okay, I'm okay with spending five bucks on this movie. Right. No problem there. Exactly. Now, of course, we would love to know what you think. You can always find us on social media, of course, at Real Pudding Guys on Twitter, at Pudding Guys on Instagram and Facebook. I swear I will post something on Facebook at some point in the future. (laughs) It's just been a while. I'm still in the middle. My hand's in the over the stove slaving on this really neat project that I want to try and get done. And it's taking pretty much all of my time. Um, and hopefully we'll have something more about that soon. It's, it's very um, in-depth. 
But uh, drop us a line. Let us know what you thought about the film. Let us know about other films that you think that we should probably rate or that we maybe uh, maybe missed some obscure film that uh, that you just absolutely love. And we'll definitely take a look at it. But next week we'll be back. We will finish the second part of the history of comic book movies with the other half of 2014. We'll see you there. 